Um, God is good, right? All right. Well, today we're, we're starting our series called Tough Topics, and I'm going to be talking today about the nature of God. Um, I'll also be dabbling a little bit with the nature of the concept of eternity in a material world. Uh, next week, I'll be talking about where the Bible came from. So you know that it's not an ordinary book. And if you think it is, then you don't know much about it. And um, I promise you, you'll learn a lot more about it in its origins. And there's some amazing things about the scriptures. When I say the scriptures, I'm talking about the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament. And that that scriptures is unique to every other book that there is. And then October 26, I'm going to talk about evolution. Uh, because evolution is the religion of the day. It is to many people who are raised in it. And I was born and raised in evolution, that it was absolutely the reality and the fact, and all the top scientists have it figured out. And because they do, I just need to trust it. There's no challenge to it. And so we're going to work within the scientific literature and challenge the notion of abiogenesis, life from no life, um, some of the stuff in quantum physics reg relative to the singularity and the Big Bang and what it produced. We're talking about, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the topic, the Baryon uh, asymmetry problem. And I'm going to be challenging uh, the design um, inference and one more irreducible complexity for those who are interested. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> it's just, but I, I hope to, those are just terms, but I hope to make those seem to make more sense. If you have friends who are evolution uh, background, bring them because I will leave time at the end for them to engage and ask questions. And then November 2nd, I'll also have questions, but I'm going to talk about what God says about sexuality. Um, especially in our culture, it's probably needed to be addressed, and we all live in our culture. So we, we know what it's like to, to live here, and so we don't want to hide, hide and go, oh, what do the Christians think? Do they hate everybody? Well, no, I don't think so. And so we want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about women in ministry. I mentioned this last week. Um, because uh, some see women as second class, or if not second class, that their roles are distinct. And women's roles are distinct. Um, but I don't think they're diminished. I think they're awesome. God's got great things for women. Amen. How many know that God made strong women leaders? Yeah. He makes strong women leaders. So we're going to take a look at some of the scriptures that people use um, to, um, to relegate women to be in the background. And we're going to move women into the foreground. Amen? Um, I probably should have had my wife preach that, but I'm going to do it. And then November 16th, we'll have our random topics. Now, uh, let's get right to it. Tough topics today. This is an introduction. I'm going to be talking about, say it with me, say, who is God? Who is God? Who is God? Now, I am going to be taking things from the scripture before I talk about the scripture. It's kind of the cart before the horse. Um, but if so, if you're an atheist or you're from another religion that doesn't know if the Bible's true or not, uh, stay tuned next week and I can uh, prove it. But I will prove some things today. Um, the reason it's so important for us to know who God is, is when you know who God is, then you know how to relate to him. Do you know what he's like? You know what he's thinking? That You know that God isn't just divine and all-powerful and almighty. Did you know that God is also intimate and personal? Yeah. He's not ethereal. And it's not like the person who just walks around and you meet him at, you meet him at work and they go, hey, do you believe in God? And they go... Yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's a God out there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about believing in the God of the Bible that you can know. 
That it's not a figment of your imagination and it's not a hopeful guess or wish. Man, I hope there's some kind of big deity out there that could take care of my needs or if someone dies that I know there's an eternity. Uh, Is there a God or is there not a God? And if there's a God, is he alive? And if he's alive, what's he like? What's he like? And and what is he made up of? Is he made up of atoms and molecules and protons? Is he a mixture of some kind of energy source, some negative matter and, you know, positive or negative gravity and positive matter that kind of combines into some wholeness of energy? Is that what he is? God is spirit. He's breath. He's not contained by the universe he made. He's not subject to it. He's not driven by its entropy or laws of conservation and being drawn down. He, he's, he is over it. He's the creator of time. I know that it's hard for us to understand the nature of time. But we're in it. We're experiencing it. Imagine that God is not subject to time according to his own definition. Now that is not true. And I'll just say right at the beginning. During this series, I will talk about other religions. And I want to make this real clear. I do not want to slam your religion. That is not my goal. My goal is not to be holier than thou. My goal is not to go, I'm right and you're wrong and ha, ha, ha. My goal is to draw distinctions so you know what the Bible and Christianity teaches. And so that you understand it. Okay? But I do have my own personality, so if it gets ahead of me, I apologize in advance. I will do the best I can with my own thought processes. All right, how many are ready to go? Lord, open the scriptures, open nature, open the sciences, Lord. I pray that you'd help me get started in this introduction, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay, I'm going to do seven attributes, and the first one to tell you about God is God says he's, someone say with me, the only God. One more time. The only God. In other words, there's not a God and then producing another God, producing another God, producing another God with some kind of infinite regression of God's going way back. It's not like the clash of the titans, you know, and the Greek mythology where you have Zeus and Hades and you have these gods that were once men, but they, they're ruling over men and they need their prayers. Nothing like those movies where these gods are sort of forming into gods. The God of the Bible declares himself over all things that there's no equal to him. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is no, and, and there's another scripture he says in Isaiah 43, where he, says, he says, there's no God formed before me and there's no God fashioned after me. And I know the beginning and the end. In fact, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. I am all might and all power and all knowledge and all insight. And there is nothing there before me. This is God. He says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times. And if you know much about scripture, all the things it said that it's fulfilled is incredible. I'll talk about it next week. They're not just little coincidental, coincidental things. They're not like little Nostradamus sayings where I hope that there's a, you know, someday there's going to be Greenfield and there's someone's going to be running on it, some generic thing. God is picking out kings and telling us their names 700 years ahead of time. He's telling us about kingdoms that are going to rise. He's going to talk about world history and describe it in detail. In detail. And then he's going to watch it happen. 
And, and he's going to pinpoint, I mean, even some of the dates that are picked out by God are fantastic. They're amazing. By the way, we don't need a secret code of the Bible. The Bible is a written open code. There's no secret code about it. But you can delve and delve into the scriptures and find more and more amazing things. Isaiah 45, or he says, he says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. If, if you can imagine that God says, everything that I say that I'm going to do, I'm going to accomplish it. That's one of the ways that he proves he's God. So in other words, if someone can thwart his plans and Christ can't be born and salvation can't happen and these kingdoms won't come, then, then it will prove that this, whoever this is talking is not God. But God has proven himself throughout history over and over again. And he says, no one can stand in the way of what I've decreed. And there are, if you want to take a deeper theological class, you can find out about what the decrees of God are and how they work and what are the hidden secret decrees and how God purposes his will. Let me give you one in the New Testament here. To the king eternal. Eternal. He's forever. In the beginning was the word. He was already in the beginning. And the word was with God and the word was God. That's an infinite word in the past. He's immortal. God can't be destroyed. He can't beat him up. My God can beat up your God. Right? He, and he's invisible. In other words, you can't put him under an electron microscope or the electron microscope of 200 years from now and try to dissect him and go, oh, look, at there's these neutrons and protons. We figured out God. Let's suck his energy out and put it in a capsule. You know, some boson you know, particle that they're trying to find with these different accelerators that they're building. Let's you know, throw electrons together and see what happens. And maybe out of that we can pull and we can find the God particle. God's invisible. And we're not talking about just by sight. God's saying, I cannot be grasped by you. You can't hold me. You can't go under the couch and go, I found God. He's under here. He's near the dog. Right? You can't go on the mountain and go, I found God. Where was he? Near the pine cone tree. Over there. There he is. God is invisible and all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things, sees all things. He's got all power. To the king eternal. This is talking about Christ who is God. Immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Say it with me. He's the only God. And number two, he is the eternal God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's not going to grow tired. He's not going to grow weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. That scripture continues. The New Testament, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. He says, I'm the, I'm the one who is. And I'm the one who was. And I'm the one who is to come. And, and then, Kenny, we sang it this morning. He's the great I am. In, in, in every aspect of reality, he is the I am. He is present at all times. But God has a general presence and he has an intimate presence. Okay? This is his general presence. Just imagine. You go, hey, how's it going, Eric? How you doing? This is the general presence. But then if you want to know me more intimately. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> great. How's it going? That's, really good. That's more my intimate presence, but I'm not going to kiss him or anything. <laughs> right? But it's, it's an intimate presence. Got it? God doesn't have to have his, he doesn't always reveal his intimate presence at all times. You know, the Bible describes, you know, in the future, 
where he's contained and will reveal himself in more intimacy than we've ever understood. Isn't that going to be awesome? Man, it's going to be incredible. Everything will perish and wear out like a garment in Psalm 102. And it says, but God will remain. You know, the universe is decaying. Did you know that? It's decaying because there's a concept. Just say it with me. Say entropy. It's like the law of energy and conservation. These are physical laws. Some people think that in the quantum world, you know, these laws may not apply in the same way. It's kind of hopeful thinking. Maybe it won't apply in the same way. And people use quantum physics to, to wipe away everything. You know, where all of a sudden just, you know, things appear, you know, out of nowhere. And they're kind of using the electron as the example. And I, I always joke that I thought this would be great in the O.J. Simpson trial. You know what I mean? Because, you know, all, all you have to do is go, what happened? And they go, man, I was walking down the street and this guy appeared out of nowhere. And then he did the, all these things. And it, the thing is, is that really it just appeared out of nowhere? When does that ever happen? Yeah. Right? And, and, and I know that you, in the electron world that things appear and disappear, but, but just because you aren't tracking where it is doesn't mean it's not there. It just means you don't know where it is. Now, this eternity is a really important question because when we think of eternity, we try to put it in physical terms. Like, how is this world? Is our universe eternal? And there used to be a theory called the steady state theory that Einstein believed and many, many, many physicists and astronomers believed in the steady state theory. There are some that still do, that believe that basically the universe was always there. But the overwhelming uh, abundance of, ed- of the educated world now believes that it's not, that there was a beginning, and they use a term called the Big Bang. And they believe that there was a singularity, which is basically a point in time, and I'll get to it in just a second, that contains all mass and energy and gravity and space in that one single point. Um, in fact, if we could just recreate that, we can just create another universe. I just want to see that other universe spark up, Right? And so this is how that, that came about, and this is the difference between when I'm talking about the eternal God and an eternal universe, drawing a little bit of a contrast. How it got dispelled was Einstein. Einstein had a friend, Hubble, who built a telescope, and we now have ones on the mountain, and then now the Hubble telescope that's in space that's taking pictures of deep space. Well, before they had this, they couldn't really look in the universe, and they thought they just saw a bunch of stars. They did the best they could. But after the Hubble telescope, Einstein came, and he looked at the telescope, and he came in, and there's famous footage that you can find on YouTube, probably. And and he's looking, Einstein's looking through the telescope. And when you look through the telescope and you're seeing stars, it's not like you're seeing clarity billions of light years away. What you're doing is you're basically seeing light. So imagine this is, you know, thousands, millions of light years out. You're seeing, if this is a star, all you're seeing, or a galaxy, you're seeing the light from this big distance, and you're looking at the light, and you're analyzing the light and the elements of the light to make all kinds of guesses of what it might be. You don't have a whole lot to go on. You have the motion, and you have the light. But if this star is moving like this, and there's some kind of planet here moving in front of it, a thousand light years before, it's going to change this light, but you're going, I don't know, is it, is it forming a new star? Is it diminishing? Is the star dying? You don't know what, what it is. You're making these guesses about it. But one thing that he did notice when he looked at the telescope is that the lights that he saw had what they call, say it with me, redshift. 
there was a red shift in the light. And what that means is, is that the stars or the galaxies, really, they're clusters of stars, were moving away from us. They are moving away from us. When it's red shifting, it's moving toward us. I mean, away from us. So what he noticed is, if this is Earth, and here's some stars here, some galaxies here, and galaxies twice as far from us, that this galaxy was actually redshifting, meaning it was moving twice as fast away from us as that galaxy was moving away from us. Okay, following with me? That means if you go back in time over here, and this is moving back half the speed, eventually we get to the same point, correct? At the same time. That means whatever birthed it, birthed it at the same time, thus they came up with the term Big Bang. Can everyone say, and God said there will be light, and there was light. God spoke and it came to existence. Everything comes. Well, now from their theory, you have to say, how do we get all this mass, all these stars that are moving back toward us in time, if we calculate the time, how do we get them condensed into one single point? I got a better one. How do I get that chair into one point? I, I was an atheist for a long time. I, seriously, I, I was an atheist for probably 23 years. And my father was very much into these things. I used to read these things. And I'm going, well, how would that work? You know, how did it get all condensed and stuff? And he, he's saying, well, you know, it, uh, this is one of the theories that they say, you know, there, there, there was a singularity where all matter Okay, gravity, time, space, energy of the whole universe was condensed. It was condensed and then it expanded. And when it expanded and energy converts to matter, it converts to antimatter and matter. So that would be 50-50%, right? 50% matter, 50% antimatter, right? What's the problem? The problem is we don't have 50% antimatter and 50% matter. We have matter, we have about 90.97% matter and a little bit of antimatter. So it's called the Baryon um, asymmetry problem is that you don't have equal parts. And, when, and it's good. It's probably by God's design that we don't have antimatter matter because it destroys itself in its conversion into energy. What happens is it, it brings destruction. And if you want to know the power of energy, look at the sun. What happens when the sun beats down on the earth? Does it bring life? No, unless it's converted through photosynthesis and produces oxygen, correct? But what do you have to have? Plants. They have to exist. Take away the plants and just imagine the heat bearing down on hard rock. How will that produce life? How will that produce any life? It's a symmetry. They have to work synergistically. Well, this Big Bang... You ask, where did all the energy and the mass come from? Is it eternal? Did it last forever? Well, when Einstein was seeing these, every galaxy's moving out, he said there must have been a beginning. And if all this energy, we have to come up with an explanation of how this energy was here and is all condensed, and then we have to understand how it's been here the whole time. Do we know of any energy source that lasts forever? Did anyone buy the Energizer button, Bunny? How many knows eventually it slows down? If you imagine all the energy in the universe was in this room, the, all the usable amount of energy for the entire universe was in this room, 
the amount of usable energy in this room is decreasing and decreasing and it cannot be regenerated to usable energy. It's decreasing. That means that the universe couldn't be infinite because if it had an infinite time backwards, how much of the energy would be left? None of it would be left because it would be infinitely long. It would take forever. All that time, the energy would be used up. All the energy is being used up. How can that produce more things? And so, and so all matter, this is a huge problem for big man cosmologists on their own website. How do we overcome this problem? Well, where do you get the energy? Where does it come from? Think about it, you guys. Where did life come from? Everyone say nothing. Some, everyone say something. Which one do you pick? Okay, something did it. They say it's nothing. How many think something that it took power to create it? How many say it took no power because there was no power, there was nothing? So no power and nothing, something and all-powerful. Which one do you pick? Okay, it's material. It has to be some kind of matter, although we don't know where the matter came from, but I'll give it to you. I'll give you some matter. It's free. Okay, or immaterial. That it, There's no matter, so it wasn't subject to entropy. This one was, this one wasn't. How many say we need a spirit, immaterial being? How many want something? Not nothing, right? How many want power, all power, rather than no power? Now, do you think it was made with purpose and design? Because in their view, it's made with nothing and no power. And then it came into existence with some hopeful quantum fluctuation that just came out into existence. Hopefully, man, we're so lucky. It just came out. Right? Even though the probabilities, we're not even talking about life, we're just talking about chemicals being made. Some basic helium and hydrogen and some gravity and space flying out and expanding from nothing. And now it's not only asking that, but it's saying, and it happened not on purpose. Even though the helium that came out had functionality and the, hel- and the hydrogen and the functionality of the laws of physics that governed it perfectly. You know, Stephen Hawking says that if the the, the expansion of the rate of the universe was just changed by one thousandth of one thousandth of one thousandth of one thousandth percent. That's just one property. We'd have no life and, it went, and we can't live. This is called the anthropic principle, the cosmological principle. Every single thing has to be perfect by design. How many know I can keep going? <laughs> Listen. People think it's so funny that that God would make man just like this. Oh, come on. He didn't make man like that. He had to make some small little globule. And it used to be like a globule, you know, like a little cell. You know what the problem is? The problem is we can look in the cell now. Do you know how complicated a single cell is? The single cell is like a galaxy. Just looking at just the genetic Material, the, the mobilized genetic period of maybe the 5% of the genetic code and, and the nucleotide bases and the proteins that it's creating and all the RNA world and everything that's going on there is amazing. Why would you think something like that came into being on its own rather than God making, putting the cells actually together to make someone like me, right? <laughs> Couldn't God create something with all the cells together? Do I hear Amen. 
couldn't God, wouldn't, wouldn't, why would God in his own image make a cell? This is what I'm like. <laughs> and what did the cell, how did the cell, how did the cell replicate it? How did it create a meiosis or mitosis replication? I'm going to make another of me. You know what I mean? What's it going to do? How is it going to do it? And how is it going to do it on this, on this dirt or in this water? I mean, I just pour water on my peanut butter and spaghetti and it just dissipates the peanut butter. What's it going to do to this cell? I'm telling you, if God put a whole baby, if you had a whole baby that formed with a trillion cells, what happened to that baby? That baby's going to die. Now you're telling me that if we just take one of those baby cells and put it on the ground, it's going to survive? Good thinking. You're so smart. <laughs> you know, that's really smart. Come on. Listen, I want to give you a quick argument here called the cosmological argument. This is a formal logical argument while we're talking about the eternity of God. It sets him apart. This is a formal argument. In other words, if all the premises are true and there are 10 premises, then the answer is true. If the first one's true, then the second one is true. And it works all the way that way. It's called a logical argument. Some call it the Kalam argument. It's been around for a while. Uh, some of you might have seen uh, Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist, uh, debate William, Dr. William Lane Craig. And you watch him, watch William Lane Craig annihilate him because he knows every aspect of this argument. I'm going to give it to you in a basic form, okay? This is a formal argument. Let's start with the first one. Just tell me if you agree with it. Things exist. Is that true? Yes. Things exist. Look around. You're a thing. Things exist. Okay. Is it possible that those things could not exist? Yes. It's possible that they could not exist. We can imagine that there'd be something without that existence there. Okay. The third one, nothing can cause itself to exist. Is that true? Yes. Right? I mean, I know their argument. It's nothing. And then it becomes something. You know, and all of a sudden you have the singularity that, sh that forms. But we say nothing can cause itself to exist. You know why? Because it would have to exist to cause itself to exist, which is ridiculous and illogical. It, it, it violates, the, you know, the law of uncaused causes, the law of the undistributed middle, and others. Okay? It's not logical. Number four, everything that begins to exist because you can't cause yourself to exist. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause causing it to exist. Do we agree? Yes. Now, let me take God out of the equation. God of the Bible is never caused to exist because he never begins to exist. He says, I already existed. And I've already existed. Is God subject to the entropy of the universe? No. Okay, now, if you do have a Mormon background... This is where I told you I'd be honest. The Mormon doctrine talks about man becoming God. And they talk about a more, that the God is within the universe. Now, if Joseph Smith was writing the Book of Mormon, then later the Doctrines and Covenants, they describe the nature of God. They do use the word eternal, but their description is eternal within the universe, which would make sense if you were writing it in the 1830s, because that's when Darwin came on the scene. Darwin and Lyell, his contemporary, his mentor, that's 1830s to the 1875. They, they were thinking of things evolving, progressing up, 
And Joseph Smith at that time talked about a progression and that these gods and multiple gods would be throughout, you know, the universe. That they, some would be on planets and places like that. Can I tell you that the God of the Bible is not that God? Because the God of the Bible says he's not a part of time. Right? In, in fact, John begins, in the beginning was. He already was. Can everyone say was? In the beginning, he already was. Right? He was with God in the beginning. He was the word. And he was with God. In fact, he was God. That's his description in John. So we have this. And so everything that begins, that means in our universe or the universe, must have a cause. Do I, do I hear agreement? Okay? And it can't cause itself to agree to grow. Uh, you can't cause yourself to exist. Number five, the universe began to exist. Even according to evolutionists, it had a beginning. So it must have had a cause. Correct? It must have had a cause. If it had a beginning, it had a cause. Um, Number six. Now, this is the one that you have to be thinking a little bit. If the universe had a cause, and we say, well, what caused the universe to grow? It had to be some other material. You can't have another material thing that caused the universe because the universe in our definition, in in the world's definition, is all matter and energy that is. And that universe of all matter and energy and gravity and time and space had a beginning. So there is no matter before it because, and you can't make up stuff like Planck time and etc. That's just Stephen Hawking playing with imaginary numbers and he admits it. Just you have to admit it to yourself. They're imaginary numbers. You can't just come up with a time before time. Right? Once upon a time there was what? No time. Right? So all the universe is all matter. You can't say something was before the universe because the universe includes all matter. And according to Big Bang cosmology and modern cosmology, string theory, supergravitation theory, all the universe had a beginning. So it must have had a cause. Now, you can't go back to what's the cause before it and the cause before it and the cause before it and the cause before it. You can't say there's an infinite regression because if you say there's always a cause before something and another cause before that and another cause before that and another cause before that, you get to infinity. And what happens if you have go back in infinity, then you never get to the front. If there's an infinity cause back there, that cause never arrives at the, f- at the present. Okay? And if you don't understand that, it's just infinite theory Study Hilbert's Hotel, okay? And it'll explain it. Chicken and the egg. An infinite regression of causes ultimately has no initial cause and thus does not exist. If you go back to eternity and you say, this is the first cause right here in infinity, I say there's had to be one before it. You say, that's none, right? What's the highest number you can think of? 20 million. 20 million in one. And I can go back infinity. And if I go back infinity, then I never get to the future. In the present. And how many would admit that things exist? Yeah. Are we in the present? Yeah. So there cannot be an infinite regression. This is not Christian theory. This is scientific theory. This is logic theory. Okay? Number seven. Therefore, there must be some kind of uncaused cause of all things. That's the proof. If you can't have an infinite regression of causes, and the universe has a cause because it had a beginning... Something uncaused must have caused it. That is not a part of the universe. How many say amen? Amen. And we call that being, real simply, we call him God. 
And this uncaused cause must be immaterial because if he's immaterial, then he's part of the known universe and he had a beginning. But it must be something outside that has no beginning. It must be timeless and it must have power. How many are with me? Kind of. Come on. How many are with me all the way? Come on. You're with me. Okay. Number nine, we call this being or entity, can everyone just say it, God? Now, it doesn't have to be the Christian God. You can just go, okay, it's a God out there. Okay, fine. You proved your point. It's a God out there. But let me ask you, what, what belief system believes in a God that is outside of its own time zone? Right? And if you're from Mormonism, that's not the same God. Because the God is within the universe. He was a man once. And I, I do have problems with that. Because all the men I've ever met are idiots. <laughs> And I'd hate to think that the origin of God is an idiot. Right? Atheist going, yeah, that's really dumb. I don't agree with that. And I go, okay, well, let me ask you something then. You think the origin of everything is nothing. That's hopeful. Well, we don't believe in the Bible stories. Have you read the Big Bang story yet? And there was this, and then it eventually became that, and then it started expanding. It's like a patchwork theory. Then it expanded. Then it did this. Then it did that. And then it caused here. Maybe they did this and here. Well, that, that doesn't quite work. Yeah, no, but let's go past it to see where it might have gone. No, let's not go past it. Tell me where the singularity came from. And if you can demonstrate that, then you can show a singularity. It doesn't knock out God. All it knocks out is that you can prove that there's a singularity, and there is no singularity. Big Bang is fading. Big Bang is fading in our culture, and it'll be gone. In 50 years, 100 years, that thing will be gone. And all of you that put your hope in it, I tell you, your only hope, I, I promise you this, God made everything. And if you can believe in an energy of some energy source just kind of floating in the universe making everything, why not believe in something that's transcendent and powerful? And, and understand that don't you realize that you live in a world full of purpose, not randomness? We have purpose and meaning. And I wonder why suicide is so prevalent. Because young kids feel like there's no purpose for them. There's no reason that you're here. You're just a bunch of chemicals that are just moving around. You have no purpose. But I tell you, God made you with purpose. He did. He made you with purpose. Let me tell you, the God of the Bible alone fits this description exactly. That means a bunch of Jews, Old Testament Jews, put together a description of the universe and its origins. It said that the universe was expanding. God stretches out the heavens. It says it wears out like a garment, like clothes. It decays and will be gone. Fits the physical universe. These are so many amazing things. Next two weeks from now, I'm going to talk about gravitational time dilation, how the universe, how the starlight can be so far away, and how God created the earth, and some very good theories on how God could have done it. That's not black hole, that's white hole cosmology. It's, it's not where the darkness consumes the light, but the light invades the darkness. Fits what the scripture says. How many say amen? Amen. amen. How many are getting something out of this? Come on, man. You getting something, hopefully? All right, number three, let's get right to it, the creator. God is not only the only God, he's the eternal God, he's the creator. There's two types of beings. 
I'll, tell me which one you are. Raise your hand if you're this one. You're the creator. You are creation. Okay? How many don't know what you are still? And I've met people. I met a guy once. He goes, I am God. And I go, really? Tell me how you made gravity. What, how'd you do it? He's going, well, uh, yeah. And I go, yeah, well, like the force is like, what were you thinking about when you, I was just dissecting electrons and something. I go, tell me more about that. And he, he didn't know anything. And I go, well, this God is really stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's ignorant. You know? And, and God, God looks at those who claim to be God. Because if, uh, let me tell you, if God's not your God, Something is your object of worship. Just analyze what it is and tell me. Do you think, whatever it is, because it's something, and if it's you, I challenge whatever you're worshiping to compare it to my God. Compare it to my God. And I don't mean it like my God can kick your God, but I actually do mean that. My God can kick your God's butt. Anytime, any way, any place. You name the place, he'll be there. He's already there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Amen. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, isn't this what he's describing? That God made something. He's not in the visible world, the invisible, transcendent world that we cannot imagine. And it's, it's our soul. It's the same way. The Bible says that the soul that animates this physical body and has a brain, functioning brain and the things that it can animate, the Bible says that it's an eternal soul. I have eternity in my own heart, and so do you. Don't you want to have God, the eternity, in you besides just your own soul? That's what the cross is all about. Jesus died to remove your sin. And God, God can enter that way. Creation. Number four, it's also, the Bible describes the triune God. And, and this, to some, is more complicated. To me, it's just a real simple way of explaining it. The Bible describes God in two different ways. Well, in a number of different ways, but two main different ways. One, I showed you, he says there's one God and there is no other. Jesus even says, Hero Israel, the Lord is one. Okay? Can everyone say one God? Amen. Now, the difficulty we have is God also describes himself as three distinct persons. Not the father becoming the son, sometimes showing us himself as the son, and then disappearing and sometimes showing us as the spirit, but the son and the spirit and the father at the same time. In fact, the son talks to the father in the New Testament, right? And the son says he's going to ask the father to send the spirit, so son Father, Spirit, and then he says, I'm going to ask the Father to send him to you, and then he says, I'm going to send him to you. And then he says in the next sentence, and he goes, and by the way, I'll be in you. So they act interchangeably, and they also act as what we call persons. Now, I am one being, the being Eric, and I am also one person, Eric. Do you think that God is more than I am? Well, the only way we could take it is from the scripture and how he defines, how they, defines itself. Now, the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Can everyone just say, not in the Bible? The, the term is not in the Bible. It's a man-made term. It's a man-made term to describe what the Bible teaches in its entirety. That God is one being who reveals himself in three distinct persons. And the Bible uses a thing called homoesis 
and homostasis of the same essence, the same being, divine, but yet distinct persons, but yet one, not only in purpose, but one in essence or being. This is taught through church history. This is taught by Paul, by Christ, all of it in a synonymous way that God reveals himself. In fact, the Father calls the Son God in Hebrews, in Revelation, in the Old Testament. The, the Son calls the Father God in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The, in, in the Father calls the Holy Spirit God, and so does Jesus call the Holy Spirit God. So they call each other God, but say there's one God. That's why we say, how do we explain this? And so the word we came up with is three in one. Can everyone say triune? Triune. This is not trying to be fancy or trying to be historical. What did they say? It's just saying, what's the best one? And you see the may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Trinitarian speak in the Bible. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What name? The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What name? The Father, the Son, the Spirit. Okay? Now, I am one being, one person. God is one being revealed in three persons. Now, God also has a ton of names he uses about himself too. He says, I am God the provider. I am God the healer. I am God the, the you know, the, the warrior. And he, he has all these names, but he's not using them as his identity here as revealed in person. He's talking about his attributes. Father, son, and spirit are clear distinctions. So the father, can we say father? father? He sent his son. So the father sent his son who became flesh and paid for us. The Father sent the Son to save us. God, the Father, so loved us that he sent his Son. And his Son paid the price for us on the cross. And because of that, removed our sin so that God the Spirit could dwell in us at all times. So I get to talk to the Father through what Jesus has accomplished. And we say, in Jesus' name. Because of what Jesus did, I get to enter in. Make sense? Okay? So, and you could follow this up. Um, Trinity, also, people use the terminology of space being height with depth, but if there's only space, matter, solid liquid gas, except they're not the solid liquid gas necessarily at the same time. So God's not sometimes the Son, sometimes the Father, and the Spirit. He is all three, always. That's why they communicate to each other, and that's our description. Time is past, present, and future, different elements, but it's still time. Those are three-in-one analogy. We have early church fathers like Tertullian who have taught this. We define, this is Tertullian. Um, John, the apostle John, had a disciple named Polycarp who had a disciple named Tertullian. And Tertullian is an early church father, an African apologist, um, or early Africa. And he says, we define that there are two, the Father and the Son, and three with the Holy Spirit. And this number is made by the pattern of salvation, which brings about unity in Trinity, interrelating the three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three, not just in dignity, but in degree. Not just substance, but in form. Not just power, but in kind. And I won't read the whole thing. And then there's the old church of Apostles' Creed, and Nicene Creed, and Athanasian's Creed, and Council of Orange, and etc., etc. And uh, Jesus says it this way. He says, the most important commandment, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Now, if God is one... And the Father says he's God, and the Son and the Spirit says there's one God, then the Bible's either false, or God is describing something else about himself. 
In, if you're from Mormonism, you know that they would say God is the Father and that the Son are other personages or more gods. If you're Jehovah Witness, then the Father is God, the Son is Michael the Archangel, and the Son is, or the Holy Spirit is just merely a force of God, but not the person of God. The only way to reconcile the scriptures in its entirety in, in systematic theology is to understand that God reveals himself as one being God, and he reveals himself in three distinct persons, sharing in essence, but different roles. Do I hear an amen? amen. Here's some about Christ, Colossians 2.9. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay, in fact, when they're stoning him, Jesus, they're saying, what are you stoning me for? And he goes, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his word. Okay, number five, God is not only the creator, the triune God, the omni-God. Now, I want you to see these are a couple attributes. This is going to be really important in sexuality. God is all these things at the same time. God isn't love, but doesn't throw away justice. God is love. God is good. God is peace. God is just. He's pure. He's good. He's sovereign. He's unchanging. He's infinite. He's merciful, powerful at the same time. If you imagine that God is just love, and so you know you've sinned, you've blown it. How many admit you've blown it? How many admit you've blown it by your own standards? Can you imagine that there might be a standard even higher than yours? Can you imagine that? I can. <laughs> okay, so imagine that there's this God, and he sees that you've fallen short, and he's so loving. He says, all right, you guys, I'm just going to forget about it. You sin, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. Just go. You keep doing it. Just don't worry about it. Is that God just? There's no justice in that God. Is that God sovereign and he's loving, but he's not just. He has no justice. In other words, right and wrong don't mean anything. So God has to have justice. And that's why Christ comes to pay for your justice. Isn't it amazing that God not only loves you, but he made a justice way to pay for your sins forever? This is an incredible gift. It means that God is loving, God is just, and he's sovereign, and he had the power to do it, and he did it. Think about all the things the almighty, powerful, omniscient God can do, and he chooses to make you and me, and he loves us deeply. God is an intimate God. Listen, omnipotence, he's all-powerful. God Almighty, how much power? All the power. He's not part-powerful. That's why you can't have multiple gods. If you come from Hinduism, or if you come from Mormonism, you can't, what kind of God are you going to be? I'm the God who's part powerful. It's not that impressive. You know what I mean? Just, you know, I'm the part powerful God. This is my planet. That's not enough. Right? God has all the power, all the might. You are mighty, all Lord. All authority, all might. He's omnipresent. If you go to the heavens, you are there. If we make your bed of the depths, you're there. You can't run away from God. Have you figured that out? You try to avoid God, and you go, no, nah, I feel good. I feel guilty. Yeah, but maybe if I take a long motorcycle ride, that'll help me not be guilty. You get to the end of the ride, you go, huh, still guilty over here. Right? 
Because God follows where you are. God's omniscient. He's all-knowing, all-wise. He says, before a word is in my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. That's why you shouldn't wait to pray. Just say it now. He already knows what you're going to say. Oh, just God, I'm really sorry. Just get it done with. God knows what you're going to say. Amen? God is omnibenevolent. means all-loving. And listen, one of the things I'm going to address is, if God is all-loving, why is there so much evil in this world? There is a great answer for this. There's a biblical answer for this. Almost done. How many are getting something out of this? Come on. Come on. How many think our God is pretty cool? And if you're an atheist, you think we're just imagining it? Isn't our imaginary God pretty cool? Isn't he? Yeah? He's still bigger, he's still bigger and better than you're nothing. And even if he got matter and engine, it all engineered into a singularity... With no purpose and no design and no direction, a hopeful monster about to explode and expand. I like my God way better. He's way better and smarter too. Amen? Amen. And he's got order and he's got purpose and design. And number six, guess what? He is a personal God. He's not just out there flexing his muscles, showing his power. He is mighty. This is not a wuss God. I get so tired of religion. Oh, God, let's all fold our hands and talk to the God who's like, as if God's some boring God for crying out loud. I love David in his linen ephod underwear. Don't you do? And he's running around, dancing around, and his wife's all ticked off. You're making us look bad. He's going, I don't care. I'm dancing for God. And if you haven't ever danced in your underwear before God, you need to do it. Don't imagine it, but I've done it. And I'm telling you, there are times when you just got to go for it. Because God created man in his own image so that we could relate. God is all seeing. We can see. And not just eyes. We perceive. We see. We, 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 we have senses that perceive. We, he has love. And we've, the whole world strives to have love. And wants it deeply. Because we're made in the image of God. We see beauty and colors and fish that are just perfectly designed. And then you hear evolutionists talking about how maybe this you know, fin sort of actually became that fin. Yeah, and had all these beautiful colors developed through evolution. Shut up! <laughs> it looks killer. It looks better than the paintings that you have. The eye. You know, oh, look at the new Go camera that we have. The eye is taking millions of pictures per microsecond. Real-time video and storing it. Ah, look at these eyes. <laughs> you want to come up two, three hundred bucks to buy that? You can't buy this kind of technology. You can't even explain it. You can't even come up with a computer program to imitate it. And if you do, you're using your intelligence to try to imitate it. It's coming from mind. And yours is not your own mind. <sighs> Last one, number seven. By the way, I'm not angry. I'm just excited. (laughs) Listen, he's the intimate God. He's the intimate God. Ira and I were talking with the scripture. We we had prayer. You know, we we always have prayer every week in a lot of different places. And Ira was going, man, God really spoke to me. And when he spoke to Ira, he spoke to me too. John 3, 1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. This God who's made everything. His creation 
that's most intimate is the one made in his images. We are the only creatures that God made in his image. And we are the ones that even the angels look at redemption are in awe of redemption. And can I tell you something? See what the great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Listen, if you've been adopted, don't feel bad. We're all adopted. We're adopted into the kingdom. God takes his great power and love and all might and he turns that power to move his love toward us. And then he takes that very spirit and soul of who he is and he presses that into who we are. And he says, you're my kid forever. You'll be with me forever. Why don't you close your eyes? Now have the prayer team come forward. Father, I praise you. You are awesome. Lord, you know that, that this is not a religious prayer. You know how much I mean that. Lord, that you are tremendous. You are amazing. And Lord, I look out. Lord, I can't be but in awe looking out at the people, your people, that this is who you treasure. This is who you treasure. Listen, do you have brokenness? God wants to restore you. Do you have bitterness? Maybe you've had some bad experiences that have hit you wrong. People have let you down. The church has let you down. Listen, the church always lets people down. Or they're a bunch of people. They let people down. Listen, you know, maybe it's someone in the family. It's hurt you. Maybe it's, you know, someone that you cared about and you're struggling through it. Listen, God can restore your soul. He can make you whole. Let him lavish his love on you. I just want to encourage you. Just as I'm closing up, if you need prayer for this, please don't hesitate. Just get up right now. Just don't, eyes are closed. Just you, just you and God, just walk forward. Just either lean up here or talk to one of our prayer people and just say, Lord, I need a touch from you. I need the almighty God to pour his love and power in my soul. Just say it. Just walk right. Just walk straight up. Don't hesitate. Just you know it. Don't doubt yourself. Don't be fearful of man. It's a snare. It's a trap. It doesn't work. Get the healing that God has for you. And Father, I thank you for your power and your love that's true and real. If you've not put your hope in Christ before and you need that forgiveness right now, Christ paid for your sins. If that's you, just with every other eye closed, just raise your hand. Look up at me and say, Pastor, that's me. Just raise your hand. I really, I want to acknowledge you before the Lord. Is that you? Amen. No one else? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for these. I pray that you would remind them, Lord, of your salvation. That it is, you paid for our sins and our sins are forgiven. And would you just say that? Say, thank you, Lord, that my sins are forgiven. I can freely confess because you don't treat me as our sins deserve. Lord, you don't. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, we bless you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that today as people acknowledge who you are or are coming to know you or feel even challenged by this, Lord, I pray that you draw near to them. Whatever mind games that they're playing that are up and down, that's confusing things or the fear of letting go that religion somehow going to get a hold of them. 
Lord, take that fear away and let them recognize that you are God and that you are on their side. This is no figment of our imagination. You are real and alive. Work by your power in people's hearts. And here's my better half. Wasn't that good? I I think I understood some of it, almost. (laughs) Get right. No, there are are portions. I heard it first service, too. And, you know, the thing is, I I have a degree in philosophy, and that was the kind of stuff we used to study. Um, And now it makes so much sense, because now I know that it's attached to a true and living God, the uncreated God. So powerful. So um, next week, Eric is going to be talking about the veracity of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, and, and the truth about what the Bible says about itself. So if you've Well, had not a, only that, but the, where it came from. It's where it came from. Um, so if you, if you have ever had a conversation with someone and they tried to tell you that the Bible wasn't accurate or that it wasn't translated correctly or whatever, I would strongly suggest that you yes. invite them to come with you and... Um, Just have a great week this week. Go be blessed and invite the Holy Spirit to give you those divine moments, those divine appointments so that you can share some of the things that you're learning here. Okay? All right. God bless you. Amen. God bless.